Our passage today is from John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, to the end of the chapter. And uh, we've been going through John, and we've seen uh, uh, Jesus meet with Nicodemus, and then uh, he met with the Samaritan woman, and uh, then with the Samaritan village and his disciples, and he has another meeting in this passage. We start John 4, verse 43. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have your word before us this morning about the healing of this man's son. Father, we pray that we would understand this, that we would apply it, that you would bring meaning to each of our lives because of this story. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been headed for something that you feared was going to wind up being a difficult or a hard time. You knew before you went into it that this one wasn't going to be easy. Maybe it was going to see someone that you'd really rather not spend time with. You know, maybe relatives at Christmas or something. Ah, mom is back. I better not say anything else. Maybe it would uh, be dealing with a difficult financial situation that you know is just around the corner but over which you have no control. Maybe it's when you're not in the best of health and you trust the doctors but you just as soon not have to go see one. Maybe it's when one of your children or your grandchildren is sick and you feel helpless and you wish it was you who were sick instead of them. In our passage today, we have two people who are headed into a situation which they know is going to be difficult. They know right now that it's a difficult situation, that it's a really hard time. And we're going to look at what happens when they meet each other. It's clear from this passage that the first person, a royal official, a man who works for the king, in this case it would be Herod 
Antipas, the Tetarch of Galilee. And uh, he works for Herod. And he's faced with the crisis of having a son who is dying. But the second person, the Lord Jesus, is also headed into a tough time. Verse 44 tells us that Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. You see, Jesus is returning to Galilee, the place where he grew up, his home, his own country. And yet he knew that the ministry there would be more and more difficult. People would come to see him for all the wrong reasons, and they would eventually turn against him. And this is hard to swallow, not just because it would occur in his home area of Galilee, but also because he had just left a different place where the ministry had gone great. As you remember, he just left the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan village. And what a good time he'd had ministering there. Those people were open. Those people were interested. Those people were becoming believers. But now he's walking into Galilee. And he knows the hearts are going to be a little harder there. He knows the people in Galilee are more interested in what he does than in who he is. So that's the context. That's the setting. Two people heading into difficult times. And they're going to meet. Before we look at them, I want to look at another group of people who were in hard times and didn't know what to do about it. Because many hundreds of years earlier, the Israelites had been defeated and conquered and carried off into captivity by the Babylonians. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking when that happened? What they must have been wrestling with? God must really have it in for us this time. We were his chosen people and now we're suffering here in captivity. God must have forgotten all his promises to us. God must not know where we are. God must not love us anymore. God must have plans for us that are so terrible we won't be able to endure them. Why bother with God anymore? For we are ruined. But how does God answer them? When their faith has been crushed. When they've hit the most difficult time they can imagine. Look at what God has to say. Jeremiah 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. And God answers those Israelites in that Babylonian captivity by letting them know That he hasn't forgotten his promises. He knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what they're going through. He still loves his chosen people. And he knows the plans he has for them. And for us. And they are plans for a wholeness. And not for evil. God doesn't need to find them. God doesn't need to find us. He already knows. Where we all are. Rather he says. You will seek me. 
and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. He's talking to his people. Believers, they had stopped seeking God. They had stopped looking after God. That's why they went into exile. And he says, when you start seeking me, you'll find me. So what do we do when we're facing hard times, tough situations, difficult days? We're to seek the Lord. It's exactly what the royal official did here in John 4. He's facing his crisis. His son is dying. And he went to seek the Lord. Now we're going to move through the text rather quickly this morning. And so we start at the beginning, verse 43, with the beginnings of faith. That should be the first blank there in your outline. The beginnings of faith. After the two days that he had spent in the Samaritan village, he departed for Galilee, For Jesus himself had testified, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. Remember, he went to the feast and he cleaned out the market and he tipped over the tables. And he made quite a spectacle. And they saw that. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. So he's back to the scene of the wedding from John 2. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Capernaum's another town in that area. (coughs) He's uh, about 22 miles away from Cana. Remember, that's not like 22 miles today. He couldn't drive there. He had to walk or ride. It took a while. And it says, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. The first thing we see here is that the Galileans knew about Jesus. They had seen what he'd done when they were in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They knew he'd cleared out the temple in front of the religious leadership and that he had done many miracles while he was there. And I'm sure that when they returned to Galilee uh, from Jerusalem, they told everyone what had happened. And I'm sure that official in Capernaum had heard the stir. And he knew that if what they said about Jesus was true, then Jesus was capable of saving his son's life. And he probably thought something to the effect of, I need to know this man and know for myself whether or not he's the answer to my crisis. So with the small amount of faith that he had gained through listening to others, he went off to Cana to find this Jesus. He went seeking the Lord in order to know him. And the beginnings of faith start by seeking to know him. When we hit our hard times, we start dealing with them by seeking to know him. But now, like the people at the wedding, like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, this man came to appreciate that no earthly provision is adequate for his son's actual needs. And extremes will do that for you. This is an urgent situation. His son is dying, and this man has been reduced. This man is in the habit of giving orders. He's a royal official. 
and he's reduced essentially to a beggar. And, and ultimately, isn't that what prayer is? Prayer reduces each one of us to beggars, to come with empty hands and to plead at the feet of Jesus. And that's what this man does. Because we need more than desire, we have to take action. And the official, not knowing for sure whether or not Jesus would heal his son, or even being certain that Jesus could heal his son, nonetheless went to him. And he's a royal official. That's an interesting note. Literally a a basilikos, a king's man. Yet he didn't go to the king in his time of crisis. He went to Jesus. And that took some measure of faith. I'm sure the king could have afforded the best medicine and the best doctors that money could buy. But this man was desperate. He knew he needed to go to the source of healing. And if this Jesus was anything like what he'd heard, then it was to Jesus that he would go. And even though legally he was the authority figure as the royal official, he willingly submits himself to Jesus' authority for the sake of his son. We see in verse 47, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. He asked Jesus to come and heal his son. In the Greek, this verb ask denotes continuous action, as in he begged and pleaded with Jesus over and over again. After all, he was desperate and he sought the Lord desperately. And again, when we're facing hard times, we need to seek the Lord desperately. If we seek the Lord out of our own desperation, then we won't let other things get in our way and hinder us from finding Him and being with Him. And it's because of this we see that Jesus confronts this man with the test of faith. Verse 48, the test of faith. See, in verse 48... Jesus challenges this official and everyone around him by saying, it says, So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I think, well, that's kind of rude. The guy's asking him to heal his son. He says, you know, unless you see a miracle, signs and wonders, you won't believe. I thought, well, that doesn't sound very compassionate. But Jesus is confronting them with two dangers. The first danger is they wanted to see in order to believe. They bought into that old proverb of seeing is believing. And they wanted Jesus to do the same kind of uh, wondrous and unexpected things that they'd seen him do in Jerusalem. And Jesus wanted them and this royal official and us to understand that the correct order of things in his kingdom is just the opposite. It should be believing is seeing. Faith and commitment come first for the Lord. Jesus knew that many people were coming to him because of the miracles, but they had no real faith in him as the Messiah. And that's the second danger he's confronting this official with, the necessity of having faith in the person of Jesus and not just in the spectacular works. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in his book, A Grief Observed. He says, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. 
But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then how much you really trusted it? Only a real risk tests the reality of belief. Only a real risk tests the reality of belief. I think C.S. Lewis was right about that. Well, this man had a real risk. His son is dying. It's a matter of life and death. And in verse 49, we see he passes the test. He responds to Jesus' challenge. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. You see, he came seeking the Lord. And he wasn't going to settle for anything less than the Lord. I'm reminded of the incident in Mark chapter 7 where the Syrophoenician woman begs Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. And Jesus tested her. He said, you don't take the bread for children and toss it to the dogs. He called that woman a dog. But it says in Mark 7, she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. See, the king's official, like the Syrophoenician woman, came seeking the Lord. They wouldn't settle for anything less than the Lord. And in our situations as well, we need to seek the Lord and nothing less. It's too easy to stop along the way. Settle for a miracle. Settle for a gift. Settle for an experience. Settle for some great act of service. But if you stop and settle along the way, you never get to the Lord, and He's the one you need. Not a miracle, not a gift, not an experience, not service, but Jesus. In your hard times, you need to seek the Lord and nothing less than the Lord. This official sought the Lord, didn't settle for anything less than the Lord. And so we see the development of his faith. In verse 50, we read, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And then the text says, pay careful attention here. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He showed no disappointment in Christ. He'd asked Christ to come with him twice. He said, come with me. And Christ didn't go with him. He asked Christ to come. Christ didn't go. And yet he shows no doubt at all. No doubt at all in Christ's word. Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the man left. And he not only, but Jesus said, he not only put his faith in what Jesus said, he demonstrated that faith, that belief, by acting in obedience. Jesus said, go, and he went. Faith breeds obedience. You can't have one without the other. If you have faith, then you'll be obedient. And if you're not being obedient to Christ in some area of your life, then you need to check and see if you're really taking Jesus at his word in that area of your life. Disobedience should cause us to check our faith, our commitment, our trust, in Christ. Because trust and commitment, faith and obedience, all part of the same package for Christians. This official had come seeking the Lord wholeheartedly. And he received the answer to his crisis. As a father, he's content. He wasn't interested just in signs and wonders. He was interested in saving his son's life. He desperately wanted the results of life. He didn't care if it came quietly or in some spectacular fashion. As long as his son lived, 
the means didn't matter. You know, as I thought about it, that really has a ring of truth to it. If you're ever at the hospital with one of your kids, your parents would understand uh, this. Some of you have been to the hospital more often than others. But when your kid is sick, you don't care about test results, x-rays, percentages, new medicines, research protocols, or any of that stuff. You want to know one thing. Is my child going to be all right? Nothing else matters. The rest is just details. Just answer that question. Is my kid going to be okay? It's the only thing you want to know. And it's no different for this guy. And Jesus answers that question. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. How didn't matter when, where. He didn't care about any of that stuff. He got the answer to his crisis. And he believed the word Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. His question answered. He got, uh, he believed the answer he got. And his ready acceptance of Jesus' words proved the sincerity of this developing faith. And likewise, when we come seeking the Lord, we need to come seeking Him wholeheartedly. People around us may not know where our heart lies, but the Lord does. As He says in Jeremiah 29, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. The official sought the Lord with all his heart. Then we read about the confirmation of faith. Verse 51, the confirmation of faith. He's on his way home. And he finds out his son is living. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him. Told him his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Can you imagine the joy that must have swept through his soul? His newfound faith was confirmed. His boy was alive. And it's interesting to note that while Jesus healed that boy miraculously, he did it in a way that the man who desired it didn't get to see it happen. The son was healed at the moment Jesus spoke. And at that moment, the official was with Jesus, not with his son. And sometimes God acts in our situations in ways that we can't see and that we don't understand, but in ways where the results are clear and convincing. Our being able to physically see God's response to us has no bearing, has no bearing on how God responds to us. God isn't waiting until we get it. Before he does something. What he does is not dependent on our ability to understand it. Or on our ability to see it. Or even if we're there. And furthermore we we need to understand from this passage. There's no distance so great between us and Christ. That he can't help us and respond to our needs. Jesus spoke at Cana. And the boy was healed 20 miles away in Capernaum. Distance is no barrier to God. And there's a word of assurance as well for us in that Jesus can act on our behalf no matter where we are or what needs to be done. Distance is no obstacle for the Lord. In fact, it's not even an issue for him, and it shouldn't be for us. The Israelites sought the Lord uh, while they were in the Babylonian captivity, thousands of miles from home. 
And it should be clear, we can seek the Lord anywhere we are. Distance makes no difference. So we see the confirmation of this man's faith. And that confirmation led to the spread of faith. Verse 53, the spread of faith. It says there, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. So not only did the man respond in faith, but all his household as well. And of course, that's the aim of the gospel of John. The theme verse from John 20, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You're going to hear that verse so many times. That's what this book is about. The official left home to seek Jesus. He found Jesus, and Jesus sent him back home. And he arrives back home. And his son is waiting at the door. When he left, he didn't know if he would ever see his son alive again. So what does he do? He tells his wife. He tells his son. He tells his other children. He tells his servants and they tell their children. He tells anyone who would listen. He tells them about Jesus. And by nightfall, his household is completely different. His whole household becomes believers and receives life. And by so doing, they become a witness to all those around him in Galilee. The family receives the sign, the miracle of the restoration of the son's life. And verse 54 tells us that. This is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. People of Galilee receive a sign too. But let me ask you, what do you think is the greater sign to the people of Galilee, the healing of the official son or the dramatic transformation of an entire family? Which would affect the people of Galilee greater? The faith of the official and his household came about because the man went to Cana seeking the Lord. He came seeking the Lord in order to know him. He came seeking the Lord desperately. He came seeking the Lord wholeheartedly and he came seeking the Lord and nothing less than the Lord and once again the apostle John is showing us that the Lord Jesus Christ is really and truly the son of God and he's bringing dramatic change to our lives and that if we believe in him we'll receive eternal life and John has given us now a series of word pictures to illustrate getting eternal life. In John 3, he told the Judean Pharisee that you get it by being born again. In John 4, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, you get it by coming to Jesus and asking for living water. And then here, Jesus tells a Galilean official that you get it by coming to Jesus and taking him at his word by faith. A Judean, a Samaritan a Galilean, all come to Jesus, all exercise faith, all receive eternal life. They came to Jesus and they got Jesus. Let me finish by illustrating this incident in John 4 with another story in the Bible. The story of the prophet Elisha and the Shunammite woman. It's back in 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you remember the story, Elisha stays with this woman's family whenever he passes through her land. And 
they had built him a special room on the roof of their house, a prophet's room for Elisha to stay in whenever he came to visit. We pick up the story in 2 Kings 4, verse 11. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to her, say now to her, see you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And note this woman's reply, the end of verse 13. She answered, I dwell among my own people. Now, guys, this is a contented woman. Elisha's asking her, what can we do for you? And she says, nothing. I have a home among my own people. We could spend days on that verse. I mean, that just bleeds application. But I won't do that to you. We'll move on. Elisha still thinks he should do something. Typical guy. What can I do? 14. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha tells the Shunammite woman that God will give her a son. And he does. And the son grows up. And one day while working in the fields, the son is stricken, probably with heat stroke. They bring him to the mother and she holds him in her lap and the son dies in her arms. We pick up the story in verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. So she takes her son's body up to the prophet's room and she lays him on the prophet's bed and then she goes out seeking the prophet. Verse 25. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? Well, how would you have answered him? No, all is not well. My child's dead. That's not what the text says. The text says, and she answered, all is well. But then it's revealed to Elisha that the boy is dead. And so verse 29, he said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. And if you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. And Elisha tells Gehazi to take his staff, don't stop for anybody and go and raise that child. Now, what would you or I have said to that? Sounds good to me. Sounds like a plan. Let's go. But the Shunammite woman wraps her arms around Elisha's feet and says, verse 30, Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So Elisha arose and followed her back to the house. See, the Shunammite woman came seeking Elisha. She found Elisha, and she wasn't going to settle for anyone less than Elisha. So Elisha, Gehazi, and the woman go back to their house. But when they get there, they discover that Elisha is still on plan A. And he gives Gehazi his staff and sends him up to raise that boy. Verse 31, Gehazi went on ahead, laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. And therefore he returned to meet him and told him, the child is not awakened. Now I think that Shunammite woman knew 
that Gehazi couldn't raise that boy. She had put the boy in the prophet's room. She had laid him on the prophet's bed. She went off seeking the prophet. She was waiting on the prophet. And she wasn't going to settle for anyone less than the prophet. So Elisha goes up there and raises that boy and returns him to the woman. Verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And so he called her. When she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. It's a remarkable story. There's going to come into our lives hard times and difficult situations. And when they come, we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord in order to know him. We need to seek the Lord desperately. We need to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. But along the way of seeking the Lord, we will run into Gehazi. And if we stop and settle for the Gehazis of the world, be they miracles, be they experiences, be they Uh, other spiritual people, we will never get to the Lord. And getting to Jesus is the essence of faith. Hebrews 11, 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The great writer A.W. Pink once said, It is well when trouble leads a man to God. Instead of away from him. Affliction is one of God's medicines. In John 4, the royal had a dying son. He heard about Jesus. He came seeking the Lord. And he refused to settle for anything less than the Lord. And neither should we. He took Jesus at his word and then acted in faith. What he did was based upon what he believed. Is that What we do is what we do based upon what we believe. Think about that. We need to pray. Take a moment to do that and then I'll close.